Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the Rutterflex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. Um, all right, here we go. Richard Hanbury on the Rider Flex podcast. How you doing, Richard? Good, thanks. Pleasure I to like be. that. I like that color on you, man. It looks good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I like that. It looks looks good. I like your background. So you're in North Denver today? Yep, I'm in Arvada. How how did you settle there? How'd that happen? Uh, well, I've been in Boulder for about a year and a half. Um, and we, we now, we now, we, my wife and I, and my kid now live in Utah. Um, our company is still staying here, here in Lafayette. Um, but I can't move into our new house because I'm in a wheelchair and it's not wheelchair accessible yet. So I'm in I, temporary accommodation while we get the, get the new house wheelchair accessible. I see. I see. Why are you moving to Utah? Uh, wife's family and, uh, basically my wife's family is all there. Also, the real estate uh, price is about half of what it is here. Right. Especially, yeah. especially Which now Boulder. that we're in the world of uh, COVID and everyone telecommuting, kind of want to move to where you can live the best quality of life. Um, you know, I, I just talked to somebody the other day and they just moved to Bozeman, Montana. And I said, uh, I said, why? And they said, well, number one, we, everybody works remote these days, so you can live wherever you want. And uh, number two, we, we wanted less people and cheaper real estate. <laughs> yeah. And it must be really cheap there. I'm guessing so, right? Yeah. Um, so you're moving pretty soon. What part of Utah, by the way? Uh, Sandy, so south, south side of Salt Lake. Okay. Beautiful area. Yeah. I mean, mountains like this, I don't think the weather is as good as here. Um, but Yeah, you know. yeah prob probably not. So how long have you been married? Uh, it's now six years. Isn't it interesting how we always have to pause on that? <laughs> well, I think it's because we're getting older. It's like, like I have to pause if someone says, how old are you? And I, it's too. the same thing. I now have to go, uh, how old am I now? <laughs> Somebody will ask me, well, I just celebrated 20, 21 years together with my wife, but usually I do wow. pause. Usually I'm like, oh, yeah, how, how long have we been? Okay, and one, one time. We haven't had our, we haven't had our um, sixth anniversary because um i was in hospital with cardiac surgery and now in the, in the age of covid no one was allowed to visit so i haven't I, I haven't even seen my wife since our i mean on facetime every day but i haven't seen my wife in person since our sixth anniversary wow okay when was the surgery uh the end of february you look great i uh, mean you're, you're you yeah <laughs> It was a full-on hope and heart surgery, so it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was a big. It was a big deal at the time. Wow. Okay. How old are you? You mind me asking? I'm forty-eight. 
in a month. I'm still 47. See, this is where it comes in. I have to think about how old I am. <laughs> Nearly 48. <laughs> but did you, uh, I'm just curious, was it a like slow, like, oh, I'm kind of having chest pain and that for hours and hours or boom, it just happened? No, it was, um, so in my original accident, um, I had an aortic tear and I bled okay. internally. Okay. And that did some damage that over time built up. Um, and then last year I did about um, 400,000 air miles of travel. Um, and um, I figured, hey, you know, it's January. I'd better get everything done, like my checkups, um, you know, before all the madness of endless travel starts again. And then they said, oh, go down to Denver for a CT scan, like now. I'm like, okay. And then they, they did it and they, they looked at it and they said, um, just okay, you have to have this surgery done within about the next six months um, because it's already at the already a point where it's dangerous. I see. Um, and so I was thinking, yeah, I'll take four months to you know get my business in order, you know, and then do it. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. about three days later, my kid's au pair, who's Chinese, went back to her family for the Chinese New Year. Okay. And she was quarantined on the first day back. Uh, in China, and she's in Guangzhou. So, uh, I, we, we, me and my wife got the text. My, my first call was to my team to say, uh, buy parts for the next um, thousand or two thousand devices today. Um, and they were like, what, 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 what? And I was like, we can discuss why tomorrow, but just, just get buying, please. Good um, move. Guangzhou Good move. is two hours from Xinjiang. And I was like, okay, if my, if my au pair is getting locked up with right. her family, then every worker in Xinjiang is going to be locked up with her family. Good move. Um, and then my second call was uh, to the surgeon's office saying, uh, when's the next possible first day that you can put me in? Because I don't think you're going to be doing surgeries in two or three months. And they, oh. they put me in for the next surgery and, and, and I went. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, tell the listeners a little bit about your earlier history because you mentioned now wheelchair and the accident so why don't we let's go back and why don't you just tell them a little bit about you know where you grew up some family and and walk them into you know what happened uh, with your accident if you don't mind yeah for sure so um i had an army dad so um i grew up in various places in the uk uh, mostly in the west country um the horses were my uh in entire life um i wanted to be an all-horse vet Really? I, yeah, but when I discovered when I was 16 that I, that I would have to do eight years post-university before I would be allowed to only practice on horses. And I didn't want to wake up. You know, I, I was a teenager. I loved my sleep. I didn't want to get woken up at two in the morning for some cow that some farmer didn't care about because it was insurance money. You know, <laughs> of course I'd get out of bed at two in the morning for, but not a cow. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm sure cows are lovely, but it wasn't. You know, I was like... And, and gotcha. dogs and cats, which most visits the vet are because people have overfed them. You know, I just was, I, I was not that interested in that kind of stuff. Gotcha. But then I, you know, I discovered that I had to wait eight years and I was, my, my, my bright idea was to go and learn Arabic because um, at the time, nearly all of the best racing stock, all the race horses were owned by Middle Eastern money. I see. That's what, okay. Kentucky was already a thing and the Kentucky Derby was a thing. Yeah. But still most of the, most of the, most of the real money was in the Middle East. So I was like, okay, oh. I'll learn Arabic and then I'll go do that. And that's why my undergraduate degree was Arabic 
which is why I was then traveling in the Yemen. I see. Um, and I was close to the capital, uh, Sana'a, um, hence the company name, because the capital of Yemen is Sana'a, and in Latin also, Sana means healthy. Okay. Um, so it's the root of words like sane and sanatorium and mm. um, sanity, and mm. you know, it, 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 it all comes from the same root. Anyway, I was I was driving down a road in, in a Jeep, and I was when I was level with a petrol truck coming in the opposite direction, a car pulled out from behind it. So I had a split second choice of a head-on collision next to a petrol truck or to go off a bridge. Um, and in that split second, I figured we were dead either way. But if I went off, and I had this image of my dad wandering around the country trying to find some remains. All this so, is happening within seconds, within seconds. Split second, yeah, split second. Your, your brain goes very fast when you think you're about to die. Mm. And, um, and so I figured that if we, if we went off the bridge, at least there'd be some remains to find. Um, so I went off the bridge, uh, down 60 foot into a dry riverbed, car crumbled up like a Coke can, um, and um, us inside it, and that basically severed my spinal cord T8, T10, so belly button level, mm. and uh, a torn aorta, um, which bled internally for four days. Um, normally, you're dead within about 30 seconds of an aortic tear. Okay. Um, sometimes people live an hour, um, but mine was mine was four days. Um, did you wake up? Did, was... did Did you wake up immediately, or or? Yeah, you... apparently I was screaming in the wreck. Um, okay. My my travel companion said it was simultaneously the best and worst noise noise he'd ever heard because yeah. okay. it was telling him I was alive, and at the same time, it was the worst because of uh, what it sounded like. Mm. I didn't remember anything until um, I was on the medevac plane, um, but okay, just as well because they left someone dead in a pool of their own blood next to me on the floor in the hospital, and you know it was it was it, the, the hospital wasn't really a hospital; it didn't have doctors didn't have medicine didn't even have food or water um so my passenger basically was with a broken with a cracked thigh bone and four other broken bones collarbone shoulder bone arm in two places he was walking between the local village and the hospital uh with food and water to force feed me wow uh, wow was this a, just a colleague of yours at the time or a, good, or a friend or he was uh, he was my best friend from school who then was also learning arabic at university and um wow wow yeah, he 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 rang the insurance company and said um because we were we were on normal student insurance and oh. said okay you need to spend you need to send the medevac plane and they're like we're not doing that unless we have a um a note from a doctor back to us and he's like, well, there's no fax machine for at least 200 miles, and there's certainly no doctor either. So, unless you, um, unless you, unless you send a plane, I'm going to change my career to law, and I'm going to make it my mission to sue your company out of existence. Right. <laughs> and then they they said uh, they said, okay, well, we'll send the plane if you take like take um, responsibility for the cost if it's not needed. Which was like, okay. Which was like eighty thousand dollars, and he was like, sure, send it. Yeah. So he got the plane sent, I got Medivax. Um, and then the first thing I remember was on the plane with the surgeon, with the, with the, um, the pilot saying, we're gonna have to land to refuel in either Alexandria in Egypt or Crete. Okay. 
And because I've been living in Alexandria, I knew what Egyptians are like when it comes to sort of officialdom. Um, and I wailed and said, please don't stop in Alexandria. They'll really? want bribes. They won't let us fly out. It just, I'll die before they leave. Because I, I knew I was right on the edge. I knew that, you know, half an hour delay and I was toast. I see. Um, you can tell. I mean, you just knew you. You knew because they were telling you, or it's just it's just a it's just a feeling you have. You just you know. Can, I mean, you, you can it, when you're in that position, you can tell by the look of people's faces around you and how they're acting and how they're talking. I see. Um, yeah. Yep. And then the doctor who hadn't spoken to that point said, "Don't worry, they are my friends. We will fly straight in and straight out. Not 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 that I wasn't correct in my assessment." <laughs> just that he was going to sort it out because he knew them, and he was he was he was good to his word. We were straight in, straight out. Okay, well. in Southampton, uh, sorry, in Gatwick, um, in the south of England, medevacs, and then then an ambulance to Southampton, cardiac surgery, spinal injury surgery. Um, then I was clinically dead for eight minutes. Um, came back from that. Then I was in a coma. Came back from that, and all of that resulted in. Um, a pain damage, a nerve damage, pain problem okay. that was so severe that gave me a five-year life expectancy. Because um, the because the pain the pain would get worse to where it would just break your you break your body down or break your will down to live type of situation. Um, yeah, I mean, so so basically that level of pain means you're permanently in fight flight. Okay. So there are no repair processes that happened. Hmm. Um, Christopher Reeve is, is probably the most famous person who um, had that level of pain. He had a higher level of injury. Okay. Um, but basically, when you're in that level of pain, nothing that happens to your body repairs. I see. Um, I mean, realistically, I, I wouldn't have lasted five years because if I didn't believe I could fix the problem, I would have, I would have checked out. I had no reason mm -hmm. to. Mm -hmm. I, I, had, you know, I, I had no wife and no kids, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't have put up with what he put up with, um, not even close. Um, right, right. So, so you weren't married at the time, no kids at the time. So, did you go uh, after the surgeries or after the initial surgeries? Did you go back with your parents, or or how did that work, or where did you stay? I was I was fourteen months in the hospital. Okay. Um, and it was during that time that I got my um, my lucky break of my my first real aha moment. Okay. Because um, they they put me through the standard of care for nerve damage pain, which hasn't changed in 28 years. Right. Um, it mm -hmm. was um, opioids, gabapentin, other drugs, spinal stimulators, external stimulators. Um, and then when all of that fails, they, they basically try to teach you meditation uh, with the aim of suicide prevention. Is that, okay, is that how it works? I, I thought it was, let's just keep increasing opioids until we put you on um until until we increase your dose strong enough to stop your heart and, and you die I, I i didn't know for sure yeah they, 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 that, that, there is that kind of thing but um so some people on opioids build up a resistance so it just stops working okay and i was i was in that category I like see. by month three it didn't okay. matter like if i was unconscious from morphine then sure i wasn't in pain but i was unconscious um but I mean, that's, that's really the issue around having how opioids work anyway. They don't actually stop your body feeling pain. They just disconnect your consciousness from the pain that your body is actually still perceiving.
that's how morph that's the definition of what morphine does for people in pain right there yeah yeah I it see. doesn't you're not you, your body still is registering um adrenaline it's, it's registering see. um low heart rate variability it's it, it's all, all of the signature of you're in pain mm-hmm. are still there when you're on opioids you're 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 just disconnecting that that part of your patient so Okay. Okay. So they, so then I, so they were already in this teaching you how to meditate phase. Yeah. And then, and I was like, okay, well, I've got an electrical storm going on in my brain because my pain is at a 20 out of 10 and my meditation ability is zero. And you think that's going to help me. Um, and you know, in, in the worst thing you can do when you're in that level of pain is, I mean, opioids take you out of your mind and out of your body. They just blank you out, which is why you have that pain. If you're already in that level of pain and someone gets you to be more present in your body you feel more pain so it's pretty stupid right um but you know that that's it's it's it, they're really trying to do the suicide prevention they're really trying to give you some belief that you have some control um and then basically i i watched a um particular movie that um that saved my life um it was hudson hall okay. And Bruce I, remember, I remember the name of the movie, but I'm trying to remember what the plot was. Um, it's Bruce Willis as a cat burglar who is blackmailed into um, cat burglaring lots of museums to get parts to build the Da Vinci machine. Oh, okay. That's right. And now, uh, so it's, a, it's really funny, fast-paced set pieces where they're singing songs while they're breaking, breaking and entering into museums. <laughs> Swinging on a star is the signature one. And... Um, really bizarre script in between times okay um and for me it was a sort of high-speed version of watching your favorite show with adverts in the middle uh, <laughs> it was like i was in a flow state out of it in a flow state out of it in a flow state okay. out of it and at the end of the film i was like holy crap that changed my pain levels more than morphine interesting and then i was like huh and the bits of the film that were that made me feel less pain made me feel like i used to when i was skiing and now, of course, we all know that kind of state is a flow state. We'd all call it a flow state or mm. being in the zone. Okay. Um, but I hadn't, I hadn't read the Chick Melnihai book on flow or, or any of that. But it got me realizing that if I could change my state of consciousness, um, then I would have a method of controlling pain. Okay. And then the next thought was, well, if I had already been meditating all of my life, um, then that would be really useful right now. Um, but I haven't been, so I can't learn. So how do I, how do I create a shortcut to what you could do if you're a long-term meditator? So I started looking at the research into um, how meditation changes people's brains. Okay. And by that time, there'd already been 15 years, 50, sorry, 50 years of Western medical research on this. Um, and some really brilliant EEG work by a guy called Maxwell Cade. He uh, wrote a book called The Awakened Mind. Okay. And in that, they show very simple two-channel EEGs of left hemisphere of the brain versus right hemisphere of the brain and frequency patterns from, from 1 to 30. Um, and, and basically, by looking at that, I was like, okay, so long-term meditators have a strong alpha state, a strong theta state, a reasonable delta state, not much beta activity, so not much higher frequency activity. But the really key thing is every single one of their EEGs, there was a, a, a balance between 
the left and right hemisphere. They were both identical. Okay. Um, and so I, I, I bought one of the EEGs that basically produced the same output that his did. Um, tested myself. I had a massive disparity from left brain to right brain. Really? Okay, interesting. And what's, the, and what's the average person have? The, you know? I, I've looked at about 1,500 EETs, and I've only seen two that were perfectly balanced. Okay. okay. Um, one was Arsene Wenger, who was the manager of Arsenal Football Club in the UK, um, which is very weird because he was a professional footballer, so he bashed his head a few times, um, but still had a perfect balance. And the other one was Greg Rosetsky's physio, um, who was a very well-renowned healer. I He's see. the kind of person that when he walks into a room, everybody just gets more relaxed. Like, so he wasn't surprising at all. He was just like, oh, well, of course, you know, he's an epic healer. Of course, he, of course he has an effect. <laughs> I was massively off balance. Okay. And at the time, it didn't occur to me to even think, is this other people as well? You know, is this, is this common for chronic, for chronic pain? Is this chronic? None of that thought occurred to me. It was just like, hey, here's my brain. Here's where I need to get to. How do I get there? Um, and the film was audiovisual stimulations, and there were some off-the-shelf audiovisual stimulation devices around mm -hmm. that used, um, you know, flashing lights and sound. And I thought, well, I can get one of those and see where I get to. Um, and that's how the whole thing started. And then I looked at, you know, changing patterns of what would work to get me out of pain. Um, okay. And yeah, the the fixing that balance turned out to be the one thing that you can do with audiovisual stimulation that you can't do with um you can't do with electrics you can't do it with drugs um and you can't really even do it with magnets um if you if, if you use transcranial magnetic stimulation you can blast one side of the brain um, but it has a temporary and short-term effect um so TMS is so transcranial magnetic stimulation is used in clinics and does have some efficacy on things like depression and PTSD. Mm. So you will hear um, stories from some veterans who, who, who've had uh, relief and help from using it, but they typically have to carry on going back um, to that to whatever clinic it was that had it. I see. Um, I see. So I made so I basically put together, you know. Um, two desktops, one running, one pushing light and sound, but the other one um, EEG, measuring EEG with everything I was doing. Um, and then little bit by little bit, um, I got to a pattern that um, the first time it worked, it, it not just gave me relief while I was using it, but two minutes afterwards. And that day I was like, okay, I'm not gonna change anything else now. And I'm just gonna see what happens if I carry on doing this for a bit. And can I ask, can I take a pause right there? Because I want to have a visual on this. So that, that's you working like on a laptop with sound and light. And you're just, what you're doing is you're getting sound and light to a certain level or whatever. And you're just focusing on it for how long? Uh, 15 minutes on average. Okay. 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 All right. And, and so it was, and so originally it was two desktops, one running the light and sound, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. one running the EEG system. Okay. And then I got to the stage where I was reducing my pain while I was sitting upright. And, th and then I was going to lie down and I was stretching all the areas where the damaged nerves were. And then my pain was coming back. So then I was like, huh, maybe I can put this into laptops, have it by my bed, 
get out of pain while I'm lying down. Um, and the first night that worked, and then I was like, huh, maybe I can change the pattern again so that it not only gets rid of the pain, but then puts me to sleep. And you're also, I'm guessing, you're thinking, you're also trying to figure out how to uh, position these laptops while you're laying down so that you can hear and see the light, right? Because I'm getting, well, no, that... they, 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 were, they were driving a box that was on a headset. Okay, so you had already, you had already got it to a headset at that point. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Can I ask real quick, because I, I don't want you to lose your train of thought right there, uh, but I just, got, I just need to know this. Was there anybody in your life at that moment saying, what are you doing? Why are you wasting time with this? This is silly. This ain't gonna work. Was anybody pushing on you at that actually, point? Actually, no. Okay, good. Good. Um, but the, the, the first time, the, the first time I figured out um, that I wanted to go somewhere and learn something about this stuff, uh-huh. um, I went to my dad and I said, look, I need some of my insurance money to, to, to go spend to go and learn some of this stuff. Okay. And his first reaction was, no, no, you can't spend your insurance money. And then I said to him, well, you do realize, don't you, that um, unless I solve this pain problem, you're going to be supporting me for the rest of my life. And that's not going to be a very long life because I've got a five-year life expectancy. <laughs> my dad's next response was, how much do you say that was? <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, um, cool. So- I appreciate you sharing that. So you'd already had it to a box or a... What, now, what year was this? This was 93. 93, and this, I'm trying to remember, um, did... did did we have the virtual put the mat? No, put no, the no. Thing? This was all built off um, okay. things that were clipping onto a glasses frame. Okay. I can't remember. All right. I was trying to visualize like time frame when those came out. All right. Go ahead. Um, so. Yeah. And, 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 and so that took, I still didn't have any concept that, um, that, that, that I could fix the problem. I was just okay. at that stage still looking for a better painkiller. Um, and then each day, the, the amount of time that I was pain-free after using the device got longer and longer. Um, and at nice. the end of three months, um, I had my first 24 hours uh, of without nerve damage pain. And when, you, when you've been in the level of pain that you think that you're going to die for it, you don't think, you know you're going to die from it. Um, I, w- I was my own most brutal skeptic and i didn't want to and, and i was like i was like okay i've just had my first 24 hours without pain so if this continues when am i actually going to believe that i fixed it mm-hmm. and um you know after a few days i thought you know what if this lasts six months then because i was thinking you know every morning i was waking up thinking this is the day it's going to come back i mean is this the day it's going to come back yeah um, and then I, I just put a, I put a mark in my diary for six months out. And then I was just thinking, you know, if I get to that mark, then I've probably fixed it. And um, now you're not thinking at this, at this point, you're just trying to solve your own pain. You're not thinking company or patents no. or, or device. You're not, you're not, you're right now. You're just like, I'm just trying not to be in pain, man. You just, that's yeah, it. And it didn't, it didn't occur to, so literally it was the day that I saw the mark in the diary of, wow, the six month mark. It was literally that day that I was like, okay, so if I have really fixed myself, who else can I help with this? Who else can I help? Yep. Yeah. So that was like, literally, it didn't occur to me and, and okay. I didn't have that thought once. Yeah. 
until I until I believe that I've actually fixed it for myself. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Wow. So six months. Okay. So then at that point, uh, now let me ask you too. You know, I've heard so many people that that I know that have different pain situations, whatever it might be. You know, um, and and the general comment I hear is they will do almost anything to figure out how not to, how to stop the pain. They will just, yeah, sure. they'll just do almost anything, right? Like they'll try anything, they'll do anything, which is why the opioid epidemic happens, right? Cause people are just trying any, they'll just, they're just trying to stop the pain. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now you're feeling good. You're thinking you might have something here and it could help other people. Yeah. Okay. So I then, I then helped um, this friend with panic attacks. And I said, look, I'll help you, but the one, I'll try and help you. But the one condition is you're not allowed to tell anybody because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm making this stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, I helped him. Uh, it worked. It stopped his bank attacks. And, there's, um, there's, more proof, there's more proof of concept. Now you're thinking, holy shit, this is all well, right. No, I mean, even before I'd fully fixed, fixed it for him, because it took a few, few goes, he he told three um, girls that now, all of whom had PTSD from rape. Oh, okay. All right. That's terrible. Um, and now they're, so, and now they're calling you saying I want help. Yeah. Well, the first one knocked on my door and <laughs> the, the, out of the three, one was extreme PTSD, one was medium and one was mild. Okay. And it was the extreme, the girl with the extreme PTSD that knocked on my door first. Mm. Um, and you know, this is my this is my university, you know, bedroom basically. Um, anyway, I, she she said, I said, look, this is out of my this is out of my scope. I I don't know what I'm doing. I'm I'm literally making this stuff up. And she went, well, my uh, she's Catholic. Okay. She's like, okay, so my priest is making me feel guilty about being raped. So that's making me worse. That's terrible. Um, psychiatrist is trying to talk to me about the event. And every time she does it and Jesus flashbacks, and every time I have a flashback, the flashbacks get worse. So that's making me more suicidal. Um, she said I was put on Prozac, which literally makes me want to kill myself within 24 hours of going on to it. Mm -hmm. And she said, now I'm in and out of being suicidal um, on a regular basis. And I mean, she basically thought through the entire emotional blackmail spiel before she came in. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was gonna, it was her story. Uh, by the way, how old, were you, how old were you at that moment? I was 21. 21 years old. Yeah. You had had a horrific accident, basically died, you know, came back in a wheelchair, suffering from pain, figured out how to solve your pain. But still, you're at 21. And now, right after, right after you fix your own pain, you have the immediate pressure of everybody else coming to you saying, fix my pain too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not too many people, but just that one was, that one was the first proper one. Because wow. the guy with panic attacks, I, I kind of offered. Were you, uh, did, you, did you call him and be like, bro, I said, don't tell anybody. <laughs> well, we, we, we were in university together. This was in the university college. So I gave him a really big scowl when it, when it came to that dinner. But um, they, I mean, she said to me, she basically said, you're, she, I mean, she explicitly said, your best case scenario is that you help me in any way at all. Okay, right. Said the worst case scenario is you make me worse. It doesn't, it doesn't, you make it worse, but that only means that I might commit suicide slightly quicker than I'm going to commit it without <laughs> you around. 
<laughs> no pressure. And, no pressure. Yeah, and, I was like, and I was like, okay, well, that's kind of a reasonable point. And I can't send it to a psychiatrist. I can't send it to a doctor. I can't tell her to go back to her priest. Right. Um, and it took five hours of work to remove all of the worst symptoms. Wow. Um, all of the wow. flashbacks, nightmares, cold sweats, all gone in five hours. Um, and then the girl with the the, my, the girl with the mild PTSD was the next one, mm-hmm. and then the medium was the third. Um, and that gave me proper insight into how PTSD actually works, okay. because the girl with the most extreme um, had a knife held to her throat, okay. so she wasn't able to even think about moving. The girl with the medium was pinned down, but was able to try and struggle, but wasn't really able to move. The girl with the mild PTSD was actually in a position to actually fight back. Okay. And at the same time I was hearing the stories, I was looking at their EEGs, and the, 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 the worst disparity was on the worst cases. Now, you run the left-hand side of your body out of the right-hand side of your brain and vice versa. Okay. If you've got both sides of your body moving, you've got both sides of your brain have to be working in order to do that. If you're not moving at all or you can't move, your brain has the ability to shut down one side. I didn't know that. I didn't um, know that. So basically, you know how everyone gets emotional when they get drunk? Okay. Alcohol is a poison. I love it. It's a poison. <laughs> Put alcohol into your body, your brain go, your, your body goes, oh, okay, we don't want this poison to be running around the left-hand side of our brain. So we'll shut down the left-hand logical side of the brain and we'll run things out of the right-hand side of the brain and let that take the hit. And that appears to be what happens with, um, with PTSD. Mm. Now, again, I have to you know, caveat that this was all in the UK and all entirely unregulated. And I was yeah. just doing what I'm doing. You're just trying um, to help people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now, now here in the US, we, we now have FDA approval as a wellness device. So we are approved for sleep and relaxation and... Um, things to do with generally improving someone's health and we're going through clinical trials um, to go for FDA approval for all the other areas like PTSD. I Um, see. I see. But you can buy it as a health and wellness product right now today. And can you, can you give sauna health? And by the way, is the device called something besides sauna mask or is that the name? We kind of called it just the sauna or the sauna device. The sauna device, okay, and yeah. you and and how do you go about? I mean, I know you can go to sauna.io, right? Is the main website? Is that correct? Yeah. That's right. And if you want to purchase one, do you go to the website and just go to the contact us page, or what do you recommend? I just could just go to the website. Okay. Um, yeah, and we we we've got we, so we've got um, the three clinical trials that we've done so far. Um, one was in uh, was a whole different range of people with different levels of pains. So it was 75 people, um, Stanford Medical School students with basically no pain, um, special operations forces guys with aches and pains from being beaten around a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then a group of people with severe chronic pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And within that entire mix, we got um, with one one use of the device compared to a placebo device, a sham device, Okay. Um, we got a doubling of relaxation, uh, tripling of pain relief, um, and a five times improvement 
in the high frequency component of heart rate variability. Now heart rate variability measures the exact difference between each heartbeat. And basically the more relaxed you are, the more your body is um, responding to every single little strain and stress with tiny variations in your heartbeat. So the higher that variation, the, the healthier and more relaxed you are. I um, see. So it's a very good measure of systemically how relaxed is your entire body. Um, and then we did a clinical study on APOID use disorder. Okay. Um, methadone addicts going through full cold turkey withdrawal. Um, and during that, we got a 45% reduction in the worst point of their at the worst point of the withdrawal process. Um, we also got a reduction in nicotine craving, uh, craving for opioids you know, across the board. We we hit the mark. Um, how long? How, and so, and now you've been working on this now for a long time. Does it just take that long to get all the trials and the testing and and raising the cash, or what? what has caused you what has caused it to take this long to get it to market in general uh the the the, the single answer is the technology wasn't there when i first developed it to do what needed to be done so okay. the the first version had eeg um plus plus light and sound plus me doing an, a manual feedback loop so i was looking at people's eegs and then changing the changing the device um there's no at-home system with EEGs that uses wet electrodes that has okay. ever succeeded. Um, people don't like sticking wet electrodes on their head, but just okay. they won't do it. Um, the very best dry electrode system I've ever tested is a thing called the Muse. Um, their tagline is the, the brain sensing headband. And mm. it's an awesome piece of kit for um, measuring and getting biofeedback on meditation. Okay. The limitation is that when you, with those dry electrodes, if you move, it's a problem. They, they, mm. they, they don't tolerate movement. Mm. So it's really awesome for meditation. And they're now coming out with a version for sleep, um, which I haven't managed to test yet. So maybe they fixed this, but that's, that's last year. Back in, back in the nineties, there was no, there was no solution. So I, I was one-on-one -on -one working with everyone I worked on. Mm -hmm. And you can't scale a business like that. I see. I see. Is the um, Muse your closest competitor competitor today, or even? No, no. I mean, they're, they're definitely at some stage they will be a collaborator collaborator because oh, okay. um, they're great people and they've offered to help us multiple times. I see. And uh, I'm I'm still looking for the time when I can help them in return. Um, but but they are they are they are really within the meditation space, um, and oh, so wellness. Um, and I tried to raise money for that. And I learned that VCs um, really don't like consumer health and they really particularly don't like consumer sleep within that. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know. So as of today, though, the device today is, um, it, it, they'll see that. Matter of fact, I'm just going to do this real quick. I'm just going to share. Show you. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, let me, <laughs> let me, uh, let me, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, show us. So, so this is, this is the current device. Okay. Um, this is, so you're getting light through closed eyes, um, through those, uh, through those panels in front of each eye. Okay. Um, we've got sound coming through headphones. So someone can plug in their own headphones or we ah. supply headphones as well. Okay. Um, and then we have the heart rate variability monitor, which is right on the forehead. 
Mm. They were picking mm. up all the biometrics right on the forehead. And someone uses this, um, basically, you just, you, you turn it on through an app. The app asks you pain, mood, and sleep. You just score yourself. Um, and then you put the device on, you lay, you, you, you lay back, you either lay down in bed or you lay in an arm, or you, you relax in an armchair, and then you just turn it on. And through closed eyes, you're getting pulses of light through your eyes and sound into your ears. Mm. And it's starting um, at a relatively fast level and then, and then stepping down into slower frequencies. And then the average person is, so about 80% of people are asleep by the fifth use. Um, by the fifth use, and how many minutes do you have to use it? Uh, 15, 16. 15, 16 minutes, and, do you, and is it any time of day, or you, is this right before bed, or at bedtime? Um, any time of day. So, so, the, so the fibromyalgia study, which was the third study, um, you got people with very large amounts of pain, fatigue issues, everything. Um, and what we said to them was, use it um, every time before bed, um, as you're going to sleep and basically then the device either either people sort of stay slightly awake and take the device off and then it's by their bed in the morning or majority of people actually just let it fall off or it ends up on the bed or on the floor okay um, but that's that, that's one use and then we told them you know use any other time that um, any of your symptoms are too much for you to enjoy what you're doing so fatigue, pain, depression, anxiety, if any of those are hitting you and you're mm -hmm. not enjoying what you're doing, mm -hmm. stop, use the device for 15 minutes and then, and then, and then go back to a day. Um, we started with an average use of five times a day. That's what people were just choosing to do. Okay. Um, and by two weeks, we'd had a 45% reduction in overall symptoms, um, a 49% reduction in depression, um, which is, considerably better than Prozac. Um, we had a 46% reduction in anxiety. Again, better than Xanax, so better, both better than the best in their category. Mm -hmm. The overall symptoms at 45%, we were three times more effective than the very best drug. Wow. And the very best drug is Lyrica. Oh, I see. Which does a 15% reduction in symptoms. But even though everyone, and, and fibro, um, so a lot of people don't know much about fibromyalgia, but fibromyalgia affects 10, or there are 10 million diagnosed Americans with it. Um, so probably another five or 10 million that aren't diagnosed. Mm -hmm. It's more than 80% women, and it's, it's lifelong chronic pain with no options. And Lyrica is the best drug at 15%. Mm. Almost everyone that is actually um, diagnosed with fibro will actually be put on it because it's the first drug that everyone's tried on. Only 20% carry on taking it because of how brutal the side effects are. I see. So we are at three times the efficacy with zero side effects. And I mean, yeah, this sounds fantastic for the people that are suffering. I mean, really outstanding results. What, what about, I didn't mean to cut you off right there. Um, yeah. go, go ahead, I was gonna ask you a question. Say, so, so, so we, we went to the FDA with those results yeah. Um, and the FDA said, um, that's great. Now can we have a larger study, please? Um, so we're doing a 150-person study that's starting at Duke um, by the end of June. Okay. Um, and we'll have those results 
in either October or November. Um, and so we are, we, are ex we are hoping for our first FDA approval um, in January or February. And if you get FDA approval, besides um, being able to say it's FDA approved, what else does that do for your business uh, that you can't do right now? It allows us to tell people, it allows us to market for fibromyalgia. I see. Okay. So right Great. now, like anytime we mention um, fibromyalgia, pain, anxiety, depression, and we, we, have a, we have a depression study that's going to be starting by the end of July in um, Aurora, Men, uh, Aurora Mental Health um, in Aurora. Mm -hmm. um, and we're, there's also an anxiety study that we're doing. All of those things, every time you mention them, we have to make it very clear that we're not FDA cleared for them yet. And that's what we're doing the clinical trials for. So anything that is sales related um, and anything that's, you know, that anybody might read or listen to that is, mm -hmm. um, that, that might prompt someone to buy, we have to be really explicit about we are cleared for, for, for sleep and relaxation. I see. So it's a huge, a huge marketing game changer for you. What about, yeah. what about, does it change where you can sell it? Um, well, yes, because at the, at the, at the moment we can, we can sell direct to consumer as a wellness device, but with FDA clearance, that means we can also, um, go back to the, the insurers. We, can, we, we've already been talking with Anthem and Harvard Pilgrim okay. Okay. and they've been giving us really good coaching on mm. what data they want to see and when they want to see it in order mm -hmm. to have mm -hmm. those discussions about reimbursement because ultimately, you know, we're in America, so the worse your health is, the worse your finances typically tend to be. Mm -hmm. Not always, but you know, it's a general rule. If your finances are, if your health is in a mess, you know, it, it hurts your finances. Is the is the is the huge win for you? It's FDA approved, and it's also covered by your insurance. And so, when the doctor diagnoses you, boom, he says you can get one of these, and it's covered by your insurance. I mean, that's obvious. That's that's yeah. the giant home run for you right there. Yeah, but and it'll take us a while. It'll take us a while to get there, okay. um, and that's why we're sort of we're making it available as a wellness device first. Okay. Okay. So that um, you know we we can uh, we, we can help anybody who 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 wants us to to wants to have a try, and that's the other thing as well is that um, in the wellness space, it's we have the ability to say, okay, well, if you try for a month and it doesn't work, um, then you can. You, you, you can, you don't have to, you, you will get your money back. I mean, it's a, plus you're building your brand, you're building awareness, you're getting reviews. I mean, all of those things are, are fantastic for you to do while you're waiting for the FDA approval. Uh, yeah. now, you know, a quick, I know we're, man, I could, I should have booked you for two hours. Um, let me ask you this. A lot of the aspiring entre, entrepreneurs listening, I know one of their questions has to be, okay, well, this is all fantastic. How did he, how has he funded this? How, how has he, you know, paid himself all these years developing this? And, you know, I, I guess from a, from a, from a finance perspective, how the hell did you make it this far without simply running out of cash? I mean, what's, I know that's a lot. Oh, no, I run out of cash long. a few times. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I did have, to, I, I sold my, I sold my house in London and okay. used proceeds, most of which I used after we already had VC money. So I then had to go into my pocket and, 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 and bail out the business. Um, which, you know, when I got married after that, 
So it's still it's still been a bone of contention, but at the, at the time I was free to choose to do that. Right. Um, but no, it was VC money, and um, okay. the, the 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 one the the two pieces of advice that I would no three pieces of advice that I'd give to anybody as an aspiring entrepreneur. The first one is just don't do it <laughs> unless, unless unless you really really care about what you're doing. Like someone who goes. Oh, I want to start a business. I don't know what I want to do yet. Don't even think about it. Just, just right. give up before you start it. You've, you've got to really, really <laughs> want. Otherwise, just, just, just save yourself and your family all the degree, <laughs> and don't bother. <laughs> Only do it if you're prepared to put everything on the line because you will. You'll have to put everything on the line. That's uh, really good. That is really good advice. I just want to pause you right there for a minute. It's that is really good advice. And for the listeners, yeah, you you might just want to back up and replay that portion again. Yeah, just, <laughs> you better be damn sure before you yeah. step step through the doorway because yeah, you'll put it you all You will age faster, you will have more stress, you will lose uh -huh. your friends, you'll have a higher divorce rate. You know, all just, of it, just the all of it. On and off. <laughs> all of it, um, all yeah. of it, yep, I, yep. I am not capable of being employed by someone else and working well, um, <laughs> so I didn't really have a choice. And also I had you know, a reason to actually go do it. Um, but the, the other two things are sort of slightly more nuanced. And the first of those is, you know, as an entrepreneur, people talk a lot about um, MVP, minimal, minimum viable product. Um, but there is a stage before that, which especially with anything medical, but really it's true across, across all startups, is, the, is, is if I could get people to know, to, 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 to use one new phrase, it would be minimum viable data. Mm. What is the next bit of data that you can get that helps either improve the credibility or de-risk the, the, the data of what you're doing? Mm. VCs and investors are all about de-risking. So you've got to know what piece of information can I get, or what data can I get that is going to do the next little step of de-risking. Now, the mistake I made was I thought credibility was a bar. I thought, I'm here, credibility is here, I need to go get a big study that will get me across the bar wasted two years of my life doing that. Um, you can't get a good scientist to do the studies. You can't get the investors to put money in. Um, it, just, it just doesn't work. And then someone basically made me realize that credibility, and this does apply to everything, not just medical devices. Credibility is a, is a, is a, is a ladder. It's not a bar. Mm. And if you can go up, if you, if you can look ahead and go, what's the next tiny little rung of data that I can get that, that, and so for us, it was doing the 75-person study on our own, no doctors, no investigators, just getting help from people. I mean, I, I rented a room in, in the East Bay and I got the local meetup group to send me people as volunteers. Like, it just, if I'd done that two years previously, I wouldn't have wasted two years of my life. But wow. as soon as you think about it, what's that next little bit that helps me get a little bit more credibility, that's, that's the way to go. So that's my second piece of advice. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. So, so you raised, you raised cash through VC. You also put in a lot of your own money. And I think yeah. you also got some grants or some funding through some contests you went, you, you've won over the years, all, all of the, yeah, all the so, above. So, so um, MedTech Accelerator um, okay. for medical device people. Um, any of us um, local here in, in the Colorado and Denver area um, really strongly recommend going after uh, looking at EDIT grants, OE. Uh, DIT, which is the um, Advanced Industries um, 
it's an advanced industries grant designed okay. to help bring high tech to Colorado. They gotcha. were awesome for us. They, they gave us a grant right when we absolutely most needed it. Mm, very good. Um, good, good for you. Good for you. So, so, okay, great. I mean, great job in raising cash in so many different ways. I mean, because let me tell you my third bit of advice. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. This is, this is, this is the one that people won't, uh, won't realize until you do it. Okay. But basically VCs in my experience, um, don't like the very best ones will give you feedback straight away of what they like and what they don't like. Uh-huh. The very best ones. Yeah. Um, we, we've been really lucky to have some of those in our existing investor pool. Um, Founders Fund, Menlo, Dreamit, Healthtech Capital. Mm -hmm. They have been in that very top tier of awesome about telling us what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. When you get turned down by a VC, most will not tell you why. And I bought, I was told the myth of why that was. And the myth is that they don't want to piss off entrepreneurs that they might want to invest in later. It's totally not true. Okay. The reason is basic laziness. Well, not laziness is the wrong way, it's an unfair <laughs> word. It's that they are so busy with so many people. Right, they just, that they just don't want to spend the time to tell you. Gotcha. Um, and, and, and the problem is that as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur, you need to know. You need to know. And I basically decided to have a mindset, and it took me a long time to learn this, but I decided I was going to have the mindset that if I spend a time, an hour of my time pitching to you, mm -hmm. then you don't owe me any money. You don't owe me anything except you owe me your honest opinion. And I, like I can agree with that and then go figure out ways to fix it and then come back to you without wasting your time and mine. Or I can not agree with it, in which case I'm not going to come back to you. But either way, and, and, I, and I got to the stage of, of telling people, I only had to do this four or five times, but telling people, look, unless you tell me your honest feedback of exactly what you feel, there is no chance of me ever talking to you ever again on this business or a future one. <laughs> I love it. That is why would I want an investor who's not going to help me out with an honest opinion? That is such good advice right there. That is really yeah, honestly, good stuff. It, it, it took me a while to get angry enough. I just did it ruthlessly. <laughs> and That's oh good. my God, the stuff you learn. Because... Almost, even the worst VCs have seen more deals than any entrepreneur ever will. So they know shit that you just don't know. Mm. And the best ones, an hour of their time is worth more than all of the money they could possibly put in. Mm. Um, so they are, they, and you're spending your time giving them your information. So yeah, that's, that's my third piece. Just ruthlessly insist on getting feedback you might not like it but it'll always be worth it i love it you we should do it we should do an episode with you on the show to just talk about vc relationships <laughs> that's a we could do a two-hour episode just on that so um at, at, how many employees by the way at this point uh we are now 14 14 employees okay yeah. and you are you are living off the cash that you're raising because it's it's not necessarily yeah. pre-revenue it's not pre-revenue so to speak but i'm assuming you're burning through the cash you're you're raising or getting grants so you have to be i would so i've lost you there i've oh. lost audio you there are you am i back am i back oh now you're back again. I okay let me let me, bit, sorry. let me let me just make a note of that time so that i can edit that uh real quick i'm gonna ask you uh let me try that again so i can clip it good um so 14 employees 
Um, now it's not pre-revenue because you have some revenue, but I'm assuming you're still not, you're not, you're not producing a profit or anything like that. It's still way too early for any of that. So you're still living off the cash you're raising. I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. So we're, we're raising another round right now. Okay. Um, okay. It's, very good. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's what it's, uh, the, the, it took me a while to realize that as a CEO, really, when you're a startup, your main job is to sell shares in your company. You're not selling your product <laughs> until you're in profit. Once you're in profit, you're, you're selling your thing. That is... Or you're selling um, your thing, you're selling shares. That's um, and, <laughs> so you know, true. I've never, been a, I've never been that good a salesman. Um, but you're a good story, but you're a good storyteller and, and, you're, and you're very authentic, which I think helps with your sales. I'm guessing that's helped you raise, raise yeah. some cash. Well, thank you. I, 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 the, the other thing that I'm not, the, the part of that that I'm not good at is making it absolutely super simple and super clear. <laughs> like I want to do everything. I, I, and, and, and most entrepreneurs are the same. They want to go after every opportunity that whatever it is they can do can help and VCs just don't want to hear that they want to hear the one simple story that they because they're asking themselves the question what do I have to believe mm. to believe this company is worth investing in mm. and if you give them 50 different options and I still do this and I still get it wrong they want to, they want to hear a simple story that they can go okay if I believe that people with fiber mounter are gonna buy this um, then this company is worth investing in they they want they they want to know one thing. It's they they also want to know what other things could you do if that one thing doesn't work. But they don't want to hear about all the different options. They just want to know the one thing that if they believed it, their their money is safe, because they're already they're always wrestling greed versus fear. Like, gotcha. am I going to get money out of this or am I going to lose money? And angels are even more extreme because angels, the money they're giving you they're making a choice between their kid's college fund and, and, and their retirement pot and putting money into you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A VC is making a different bet. A VC is making a bet of, okay, is this, is this one of the 10 that I need to succeed out of every 10 I go into that is gonna work? Mm -hmm. The VCs have a totally different risk profile from angels. Angels wanna know that you're not gonna lose their, you know, what should be in their their, their kids um college right. portfolio right it's because it's uh, their it's their money it's not some fund they're managing right, right. You know, whereas yeah, vcs want to know are you do you have a 10 percent chance of being an epically large company and now uh, let me one more i know we're way over time i just want to ask just two more questions what's your advice on not letting the cap table get too crazy with so many investors that pretty soon you know because i've seen situations right where all of a sudden the CEO's entire job is either raising cash or dealing with people that have put in cash and, and they don't have time to do anything else except for manage the board members and the investors. <laughs> uh, I definitely have a like that one. I mean, there was so two things. One is that, so my cap table is large. I'm sure. And um, I know that I'm late in sending out um, a company update by the time I've got two or three people asking me, hey, what's going on? I just use it as a, um, uh, I, I just use that as my, as my, oh crap, I need to get off my, I mean, it should be, you should do it every month or two months. Yeah. Um, 
And then, you know, I'm just at the stage now where I'm making someone else's responsibility to make sure I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but the other thing is that I, I haven't had any investor that I don't, that I regret having taken money from. Congratulations. And I think that's part of the fact that, you know, we're a device, we're slightly out there. You've got to give a bit of a crap about changing the world to, to invest in a device like ours. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's basically been, um, put it this way, an asshole repellent. We haven't got a single person that invested for us that I wouldn't want to have a beer with. That's, um, hey, congr- congratulations. I mean, that's a major accomplishment. Well, I mean, right maybe it's not, that's, I mean, that hasn't really been by choice. That's been more by good luck than uh, <laughs> good judgment. Um, congratulations, my friend, on everything you've done uh, up to the, to get it to this point. I mean, really, uh, what, a, what a story. And plus, you know, you are such an inspiration. You're, your positive energy and attitude. I mean, damn, I'll just tell you, Richard, you know, n- next time I'm complaining about uh, the arthritis in my back, I'm going to slap myself for acting wimpy. Right. I mean, come on. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. I mean, the, the, the one thing I knew, another thing I've learned is that everyone has their own problems Yeah. and it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's how big they are. It's how big they are to you. I was in hospital with people with neck breaks and I was just like, just can't even imagine what life is like for them. Mm, um, yeah, well, and then you're... I pull in my life with 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 other issues, and it's like to them, that issue is as big as it gets. We right, we, we all have them. I mean, you know, I had I was ethically privileged with um, education and support in my early years, mm. um, and that's another thing that people forget about entrepreneurship is typically. It's it's a middle class game, um, you know, because those of us that have parents or family that will look after us when things go wrong, um, we will take we'll take more risks. It takes a lot more guts to be, um, you know, a minority or um, someone with from a poorer background to do it, mm-hmm. and they deserve every scrap of support they get. Mm. And the, and I think, you know, all of us that come from middle class backgrounds really have to be aware of the privilege we've come from and that, you know, we haven't made it on our, on our own merits. We made it on our own merits plus the luck of what we were brought into and the support. I mean, like, like the number of people that have helped me and my family, my friends, I, I mean, like, I, I write a diary every day and in the last year I've started um, making sure that every day I write one thing I'm grateful for. Fair and then some days I'm just going through every call I have of like, oh my God, I, you know, actually when I think about it, this, I'm really lucky to have that person in my life, that person, that person. It's just like, you know, there's the old saying of it takes a village to raise a kid. It takes a town of people to raise a small company. Isn't that you know, the truth? People, you know, from a middle-class background, you are blessed. You're right, my friend. The Riderflex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. 
Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.